Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. This was a boneless short rib that was designed. It had a little bit more of a texture to it than, say, if we got ribeye. So it really needed that sauce to finish it, that acidity. Okay, so let me, let me go over this. Let me go over this. Nobody told me that there was anything to put on top of the meat or the potatoes. Did you not look left and right and see that I, everyone else had drizzled this finishing no, sauce over there? I don't care what other people eat. Let them eat what they want. Let them eat cake, as Marie Antoinette would say. No. This is General George Washington, and you're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. So I have a lot of things that I have to get to. Some people have sent me stuff, and I want to mention that. Wander Suero needs to be DFA'd, came back, was dreadful. I want to talk about that. He can Nets. help Patrick Corbin pack. They stink, both of them. Um, you know, Ben Simmons has requested a trade because the yappy Joel Embiid insulted him publicly, and now the Sixers are left with nothing and then get no, no value for Simmons. And I can talk about all of those things. But I want to talk about something that happened where I live at about 3 in the morning. And for those of you who do not live in Washington, D.C., I concede that all weather is local. It is. I mean, you live where you live, you get the weather you have. But at about 3 in the morning last night, I was awakened by two things. One, an enormous amount of lightning. A lot of thunder, but an enormous amount of lightning and rain. And two, that male instinct that says you have to protect the house. Oh, and, and, and Michael knows well about that instinct because he was awakened last night by the same two things. 2.45. We had a, a lightning. I don't want to say the lightning ever. Maybe once or twice I saw it so clear that I thought it was within a half a mile of me. But most of the time it was just that constant lighting up the sky from distance and the thunder and the rain and pouring down rain kept me up from three to five what happened with you so for us it was 245 and it was the thunder that woke up little henry the boys are on the front yeah. side of the house so he starts crying we bring him into bed and then big Walkman, he gets up as well so it's the four of us huddled under our sheets as we're as we start to feel our house shake so then i oh, get, I, didn't I, have get that. I, I was sure power would go off and it didn't i get out of the bed and, and i go downstairs and we have a uh, you know sort of a a driveway walkout, and I'm just standing there watching the entire street light up and watching sheets of rain. This is one of those once a year. Now, now, I think it's important to remember we have our we have our safety, we we have our health. There there are other issues going on with flood water in this country right now that are more important. But this again is yes, local, New Orleans. and this is what was happening to us last night. Yeah, it was really something. There's nothing that that really freaks you out like weather. Weather in the middle of the night where you go, whoa, what is going to happen next? Is there going to be a tornado? Are trees going to start to go down? I am very, very lucky in this regard. My dog, you hear my dog bark all the time. 90% of dogs are terrified of thunder and lightning. And they whimper and they whine and they crawl under chairs and they try to crawl under beds. Chessie doesn't seem to be affected by lightning and thunder. Doesn't hide in the shower? No, no, doesn't do that. So very, very lucky about that. You guys are up in the New York metropolitan area. Are, are you, when is the, because we are starting at around noon in Washington. Around two. We're getting 24 hours of rain. I don't know if it'll be this severe, but it'll be 24 hours of rain. What is the forecast in New York? Um, I can uh, say, the, yeah, it's just been raining pretty consistently you know, since since I woke up and before that here, no no thunder and lightning here yet, though. 
Is that expected at the U.S. Open? Are they going to play the U.S. Open today? Are they going to try to play the U.S. Open, Nigel? Well, yeah. I mean, we've all been sort of looking at this storm as it makes its way up to us. Um, and as Sean said, yeah, there's some rain out right now. I think it's supposed to rain pretty steadily throughout the day and into the night, uh, hopefully let off tomorrow. They've got... Uh, the roofs at Arthur Ashe Stadium and Louis Armstrong that they can close them. Yes. So yes. The, so they'll just start to funnel matches into there. Today's like the big doubles day. The doubles begins today. So the, what the and likely uh, who what they'll do is just bump those matches to another day and just have sort of a crowded Thursday, Friday, Saturday to get those matches in. But yes, there will be matches going on um, throughout the day today. Will they be able to cover the pathway? So that when Sitsipas has to go to the bathroom and bring his cell phone in <laughs> he's, to call his coach. He's just will, tracking the radar. Will that be okay? Will Sitsipas be able to do that? Yes. I mean, if there's ever been a guy who appears to be creating a pattern of cheating, it's him. It's him. Well, well the, apparently this is, um, this is a larger issue with, with several players. And, and in Sitsipas's defense, what he did or at least what it appeared to do, was not against the letter of the law, but it appeared it's against the spirit of fair play. Um, certainly Andy Murray was, was outraged by this, you know. He said... And should you know, have been. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's either playing after two hip surgeries, and he's like, if, if you cool me down even a little bit in the middle of a match, it's very difficult to sort of stay loose and, and be able to continue to play. If you have so. to go to the bathroom that much in your chosen profession, you ought to get another profession or a doctor's help. No, come on. <laughs> I mean, right. in Cincinnati, he did this five separate times, averaging seven minutes a shot. Certainly enough time to text his coach to find out what he was doing. I would be very interested in if you would look back on all the times Sitsipas has taken a stroll to the bathroom. What was his record after he came back? How did he do in that next set after he came back? And that would also indicate to me that maybe he was receiving information while he was in there. Well, right? I mean, it, you can understand why I would feel this way. Sure. No, it's entirely possible. Um, you know, but again, there was a match yesterday with Angelique Kerber and, uh, and a woman named Yastrzemska. And uh, they both went to the bathroom at the same time. Sometimes it's not just to, to use the facilities. Uh, it was very humid here yesterday. So a lot of times it's, I've got to change my outfit completely. I think that's what Tsitsipas said he was doing, was changing his outfit. because it was just. Why don't you sweat. just go to Calvin Klein and go to a dressing room? <laughs> yeah, but this you is an issue. You have to change. This is an issue. Yeah. I've talked with, um, with several ex-players and, and commentators. And, and, and the general consensus is, is that the tour needs to take a look at these things. And, and, and they whatever will. The, whatever the ruling is, you know, say, look, you got five minutes and that's it. After that, you know, you, we're going to start, you know, docking you points and then games. So they just, I think they need to take a look at it because, uh, yeah, with cell phones, you know, it's very easy to just sort of text a coach. Not saying that Sitspass did that, but you want to eliminate that, that, that sort of possibility. That's right. Don't let him in there with a cell phone. Don't let anybody yeah. bring a cell phone into the bathroom. That's all. To Mark in Cape May, New Jersey, who bought me a golf ball for $3, a golf ball from Uncle Bill's Pancake House. One single golf ball. One single <laughs> golf ball. A pinnacle, by the way, a pinnacle, which I would never Pinnacle use. gold? No. Uncle Bill's Pancake House. I appreciate that very much. I got to tee it up. I doubt I'll be using that. Four. To Gregory McWilliams in New York. Gregory McWilliams likes to be called McGee or McGee. Send me this really long letter, enclosed a card uh, of a baseball player named Rob Bellore, B-E-L-L-O-I-R, from the Atlanta Braves. He's a third baseman and a shortstop. He did not have a long career, but he was born on my birthday. 
And this goes on and on about, first of all, he makes fun of me because I said that Nelson Cruz would not get to 500 home runs, and I don't think he will. But he said, now we get to the heart of the matter. Through my sleuthing skills, inquisitive mind, and a bit of luck, I have uncovered the ruse you perpetrated so slickly half a century ago. Examine the enclosed 1978 Topps card, number 681. Looks familiar, huh? The jutting chin, the prickly faux hipster mustache, the gleeful, some might say demented twinkle in the eye. You, sir, were Rob Bellore. By perpetrating the role of a marginal major league player, you could collect all the scoops on all the teams, then scurry off to write about them under the very convenient guise of being yet again demoted to the minors. But you would always eventually return to the majors to uncover more scoops. The concept was brilliant, and you almost got away with it, but you left one critical clue overlooked. You didn't change your birth date. This is a sort of a fantastic reasoning that he uses and encloses the card. Thank you for that. And then... Most important, because this stuff's really, really good. And this comes from Kirk Taylor at New Balance. That's on official letterhead, too. Yeah, please Ooh. enjoy these 990 uh, V1s and V5 from New Balance Entertainment Marketing. Thanks for all the great column shows, and most importantly, the bandwagon. That's going back a long way, 30 years. One slight request, can New Balance be the official sneaker of the podcast? That Actually, they can, because I spend my own money and buy New Balance. Just kidding, but serious. The 990 uh, is a retro version celebrating the model's 40th anniversary. They pair well with everything, even corduroys. Be well, and thanks again for all that you do. Stay orange, Kirk Taylor. And they are sneakers. They are lovely. I am appreciative of that. And that's the good news. And the bad news is Wander Suero. The Nats made, <laughs> even though FP last night... FP tried to say that it's not the end for Victor Robles, that Victor Robles will be back better than ever. FP Santangelo is a cheerleader for the Nats. Okay, that's his job. I get it. They finally sent Victor Robles down because they had enough of the fact that he cannot hit. The only way he gets on base is to be hit by a pitch. He's a bad base runner. He's fast, but he's a bad base runner. He doesn't drive in any runs. What has he got, Michael? 20 runs all year? If driven in. He just doesn't drive in any runs. So they sent him down to the minors, and they sort of gave center field to Lane Taylor, who they had acquired in one of these deals that they made. They brought back Andrew Stevenson, who I think should be their everyday center fielder. And, that, and this is the right thing. Victor Robles was the greatest prospect, but it didn't work out, and that sometimes happens. Juan Soto wasn't the greatest prospect, but it worked out. And that sometimes happens. So they do that. They flip. They put Taylor in there, and then they bring up Stevenson, who clearly Davey hates. And they send down Robles. And I don't know when they'll bring him back. They can bring him back today if they want, but I don't know. They, they put Kyle Finnegan on the paternity list, I believe. And they bring back Wander Suero. On a day of great joy for Nats fans, when the Toronto Blue Jays designated for assignment brad hand who's so terrible so terrible they said we don't care where you end up but you cannot stay here any longer we don't want you any longer they <laughs> dfa'd brad hand wander Swero, who must be dfa'd today he must be comes back and michael what is how much does he give up last night how many runs i i'm still trying to count it's like five or six runs <laughs> i mean get, get out of here you, you, wander Swero's not a major league pitcher there's a difference between having major league stuff and being a major league pitcher. He's got tremendous stuff. He's while proven he's not a major league rant, pitcher. Do you have any thoughts about Carter Keeboom playing third? I, I think Carter Keeboom should play short. 
because I think he came up as a shortstop. Um, my thoughts about Carter Keboom, he certainly got lost in the, in the sauce last night and didn't cover third when Patrick Corbin was forced to go to third on what was a shows, swinging yeah, bunt. Tough play that shows instincts. You'd love you know, to see him get back there. But he, yeah. yeah, but he's also hit two home runs yeah. in two days. So I'm happy now with Carter Keboom because if he's a hitter, you can find a place to put him. They put Josh Bell. They hadn't done this all year. They put Josh Bell in left field, and you can do that because they had Kyle Schwarber in left field. They put Josh Bell in left field. And Ryan Zimmerman in first base. How'd that work out for batting in runs? Yeah. Worked out pretty well. It only took 130 games to figure this out. That's a more complicated <laughs> setup, though, because you, you have to look at Zimmerman's production and think, what is the result of giving him some of that time off to try and allow both players to get to those numbers? But yes, as soon as you made the Schwarber move, yep. you should have been looking at that throughout July, but you had already sort of lost the season because you gave everything to Victor Robles to try and turn into something. And it didn't. It just it, it doesn't work out. It may in the future. It didn't this year. The PGA Tour has decided that the uttering of the word Brooksy in proximity to Bryson DeChambeau is a fine punished not by death, but expulsion from the golf course. Michael, is that is that too harsh a penalty? I don't think so, because this has got out of hand, and I actually I think it's become more than just a feud between the players, and it has become this rallying cry for the internet and for the masses. And I blame Kepka. I think he's the antagonist in this. Yeah, I think Kepka is this interesting figure where he always wanted to try and keep golf at arm's length, even though he's one of the most talented players we've seen over the last 10, 15 years, and he is a super competitor. But he definitely is, is sort of looking at the marketing playbook beyond golf uh, when you think about what he means for fashion, if you look at his fiance, if you look at his interests outside. Yeah. Uh, he, he sort of likes playing that outsider role. But at a certain point, you do have, uh, you do have large crowds and it it does become a safety issue to me just in terms of what people are trying to do to get noticed by a player, to get noticed by the camera. It's sort of the Baba Booey put on steroids to me. So you are all right. I'm I'm okay with it, but I it I, I it's not necessarily the word, it's the behavior that then is surrounding the word and the way people are behaving. And again, some of this comes back to what people are doing as they walk around a golf course. Yeah. The tour should get those two together. And say, let's iron this out. Let's work this out. Because I know, you know there's a lot of money at stake for both people being popular and being on the internet. But they ought to see if they can tamp this down just a little bit. Although I am told by a lot of people, um, some of whom actually know what they're talking about, that Bryson DeChambeau is the least popular guy on tour. I'm not surprised by That he's by disliked it. by the others. Yeah. Disliked. Not not like, I, I think both. Disliked. I think both players operate in their own little silo, and that's why yeah. you look at a team event that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. You Ryder go, Cup. Where are you going to Where are you going to play either of these guys? Well, I assume you have to play DeChambeau with Reed. Okay, wouldn't you just everybody great, hates uh, them. And now going off as a single <laughs> in the four ball, uh, <laughs> the Dew Sweeper Group, yeah. Bryson. Yeah. All righty, we will take a break. When we come back, Paul Feinbaum will join us, and we will get his look at what was the biggest story in sports yesterday, the releasing of Cam Newton by the New England Patriots. And I am Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is the X-Chair read. The unknown came in 2020 and changed the workplace forever. I don't know about forever, but changed the workplace even now. While some of us are getting back to the office, some of us find ourselves in a new normal at home. I know I do. The future of work has changed, and so has the future of seating. 
X-Chair is at the forefront of home and office seating during this transition. And now X-Chair's newest innovation, LMAX Temperature Regulation, will take your seating comfort to a whole new level. Patent-pending LMAX allows you to experience cooling, heat, and massage in your low back. Feeling a bit warm this summer? Set your LMAX to cooling. Air conditioning in your home or office cranked up too high? Set your LMAX to heating. Warm up and soothe tired muscles. Feeling stressed from too many Zoom calls? If you take them. I don't. Turn on LMAX Massage Therapy and relax. X-Chair's patented Dynamic Variable Lumbar DVL support was already best in class with incredible responsive low back support. Now with LMAX, your comfort is guaranteed. You won't believe the difference until you feel it for yourself. LMAX, X-Chair LMAX delivers schooling schooling. I got school on my head. I look out my window. All these kids are going to school. X-Chair LMAX delivers cooling heat and massage technology directly to your core, regulating body temperature, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy. All perks that make working from home or office a joy. I will tell you this. When I sit on my chair at Uncle Benny's table and I do this show and I get up, my back hurts and my legs hurt. When I sit at my X-Chair in the attic and do PTI and I get up, I'm good. Go to xchairtony.com now. That's the letter xchairtony.com or call 1-844-X-CHAIR, 844-4X-CHAIR to receive $100 off your order. X-CHAIR is a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairtony.com now. Use the code XWHEELS for free X-Wheel blade casters, which Jody Forstott got in Florida and makes him very happy. That's xchairtony.com. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. This is a song called Where Are We Now? This is a group called Occasional Bannister. Let me read the note that came with it from Bill Pennington. Here's some passive boogie from a Washington group of guys called the Occasional Bannister who have outlived this, their only album, by 30 years. (laughs) I think it still holds up. The whole album is on all digital platforms. Occasional Bannister, 30 years old. I've closed they're over 30 years old. Everybody's saying 30 years old, what an old band. Occasional Bannister, where are we now? We will play them later in the show as well. Thank you to Bill Pennington. Um, Paul Feinbaum joins us now. This is a real delight for me. We had on Paul a few weeks ago. We hardly ever have Paul on because I really actually don't want to bother him. You know, I just, I like him so much and I think his work is so good that I don't actually want to bother him. But we had a very big story that happened yesterday, which is the releasing of Cam Newton. That's it. He's on the street by the New England Patriots. And we thought, well, who could we get? You know, and and to be honest, on ESPN today, almost everybody who covers pro football is going to be on call because this is an enormous story. Did it have to do with his lack of ability? Did it have to do that Mac Jones beat him out? Did it have to do with his vaccination status? All of these things are in play. And I just thought I'd call Paul because nobody saw him play in college as much as Paul. And nobody had a better idea of how good Cam Newton could be in the pros than Paul. So let me start that. The Cam Newton you saw in college. How good was that guy? Tony, I'll never forget. I was sitting in the press box at Jordan Hare Stadium in Auburn on in an October day, and Cam knew it was, it was like third and maybe 10 from the LSU 35-yard line. He fake left, uh, head, uh, you know, like blocked some guy out with a stiff arm, 
ran around, and then it was it was between Cam Newton and Patrick Peterson, who was you know just yeah. a phenomenal player. And Cam, like, not in one way, and Patrick Peterson just went flying into, into the dirt, and he walked into the end zone, and I had never seen anything uh, as artistic as that in my life. Uh, and, and, you know, I've been covering football, you know, you know between the two of us. So, uh, you know, we, I, I, my first game was right after Shiloh during the Civil War. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a tough time in the South. Uh, and... Uh, and, and I, 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 every, I mean, even though I, my, my beat back in Alabama was Alabama Auburn, I just said, screw Alabama. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to every single Auburn game the rest of the season. And of course, they won the national championship. It nearly got derailed when a scandal came out that, uh, no, don't, nobody be too surprised that his father, father, somebody had funneled money through some church or whatever. Uh, but anyway, he, he won the cha- championship. He went on and, and then I was reunited with him again when uh, when, when ESPN, as you have said, uh, relocated me to Exiled uh, you. North Carolina. <laughs> Exile. <laughs> You're Napoleon in Elba. You're stuck in Charlotte. Yeah. But I felt, but but it was good for for about two years. Cam Newton was on top of the world, and I just cannot get out of my head Cam Newton winning the MVP and uh, nearly pulling off the Super Bowl, and then watching him yesterday. Uh, yeah, here it's one thing to lose your job, but he lost to a guy that a year ago in a week, Tony, a year and a week ago was not even the starter at Alabama. Uh, Mac Jones came in at Alabama in the in the uh, nineteen season. He started it because uh, Tua, remember, uh, had had been knocked out, and he he threw two pick six. Mac Jones threw two pick sixes in the Iron Bowl. Uh, we weren't sure he would beat out the freshman uh, who's now starting, named Bryce Young. And then he had—I mean, if Joe Burrow had not ever existed, uh, Mac Jones would have had maybe the greatest season I've ever seen last year. I mean, he was perfect, and he did it again. And, and there's Cam Newton today. I'm watching all of our colleagues uh, trying to speculate: where is he going next? Like, it, what, what does it matter where he's going? So this is so interesting. Thank you for mentioning Joe Burrow, because I remember saying this in Joe Burrow's year at LSU a, a number of times on television. I said the, I, the only person I saw who had a year similar to this was Cam Newton. Now, I thought Cam Newton's year was better than Vince Young's year, better than anybody's year. I mean, I thought Cam Newton was the greatest thing I ever saw in college, and he transferred there, right? I think he started at Florida State, got in some sort of trouble, and left Florida well, State or Florida. Yeah, one, one what thing, happened? He, 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 here's the interesting part. <laughs> He went to the University of Florida to play for okay, Urban Florida. Meyer, and he and oh. he and Tim he and Tim Tebow were competing for the backup job behind Chris Leak. Uh, That's right. That's right. And then he got he got in trouble. He was accused of stealing a laptop. Yep. And and Urban sent him packing, uh, and he went off to Blinn Junior College in the, in the middle of Texas, and then found and uh, Auburn didn't want him. Uh, <laughs> he was he was going to Mississippi State to play for Dan Mullen, not to get too deep into the woods. Who, who was his coach at Florida? And anyway, uh, they they finally got him at Auburn, and, he, and when we know the rest. So it, physically, Cam Newton is. There's nobody better physically than Cam Newton. He's gigantic. He's fast. He's strong. He knows what he's doing. He had a couple of really good years in the pros. And as you say, he went to the Super Bowl with Carolina, and he was the MVP one year. But, boy, he fell off the table. 
Um, and his coach, Ron Rivera, didn't pick him up to go to Washington last year, which told me everything I had to know. What happened to Cam New? I'm still, Paul, I'm still stunned that the Patriots cut him. But what happened to him? I think the issue in Carolina was Cam was so overpowering. Uh, yeah, he was the quintessential alpha male in the locker room. And I, I, I knew a few of those guys uh, who played with him. And again, everybody you know, who leaves the team is disgruntled. You know that. But, but he just he, he, he had a difficult time dealing with everything that was around him. Why, I don't know. I mean, the guy, you know, from the, you know, the moment he won the Heisman to the first player taken to everything that we, everything, every, we all know about. But, but he, was a, he was not a great force in the locker room. He wasn't one of these Peyton Manning types. Who, who was uh, patting everybody on the back uh, and helping them. And I think it finally blew up uh, in, in, in Carolina, and Rivera you know, was, was more than happy to, to move on. after. Uh, you know, I mean, he, he was struggling with Cam Newton his last couple of years. And beside that, uh, his passing ability just disintegrated. He had, he had a yes. couple of injuries, and, and I think that did him in. And I, I don't think the locker room was the issue in, in New England other than – Not at all. No, I mean, I mean, he was great in the locker room. Did you see him on the sideline when Mac Jones threw that touchdown pass and he walked alongside him to give him a high five? Everybody said last year they loved Cam Newton. Cam Newton went out after every game he was bad and said, I was bad. People don't do that. He did that. He must have been a terrific locker room guy there, I thought. Tony, I don't think he really wanted to. I know this has sound crazy to the purists, but I don't think he really has been interested in football for a while. Uh, and really? if you said if, if you, Cam Newton has has brought has broadened his horizons, uh, he, he's involved in other things, and I, I think he's I think he just finally just hit the wall, and I think the injuries did it to him. He uh, easy for me to say sitting uh, in a rocking chair sipping coffee that uh, he didn't yeah. like the punishment because he did you know he did it didn't but once he get, once he started getting hurt he was never the player again, and I just don't think he wanted to get hit. By the way, I don't blame him, okay? Uh, but I, I think Cam Newton, and we'll find out soon enough, but I, I think he's had bigger – I think he's been thinking about Hollywood. I think he's been thinking about entertainment. And, and I, I read some comment yesterday. They asked, somebody asked an NFL executive, what do you think, where, where do you think he should go next, meaning Dallas, Houston, yeah. Washington? He said, uh, television. Uh, because he really, I mean, you, you listen, I don't, I'm talking to you. I don't need to tell you about television, but Cam Newton, wherever you put him, I'm not, I'm not suggesting conventional, but he could be a big star in the entertainment world. Do you think, and I, I read, somebody sent me a note today, I hope I have this right, that both Al Leiter, the great pitcher, and John Smoltz, the far greater pitcher, right. the Hall of Fame pitcher, who is the best thing on baseball, on TV, mm-hmm. that neither of them is vaccinated. They're not vaccinated. They chose not to be. Do you think that the lack of vaccination influenced Bill Belichick because, because Cam Newton just missed a bunch of days last week and you just can't have your quarterback missing days on close contact all the time? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, and, and I think you're, you're, there's a report out today about Urban Meyer uh, making, making cut decisions on the same thing. Smart. Tony, it just causes problems. And you know, we're not here to... to to, to make political speeches, or at least I'm not, you might be. Um, no. And it, it, you know, Cam, you know, the whole, whatever happened a week and a half ago was, a, was a major disruption. And Bill Belichick at this point in his career is not putting up with that. Yes, and I agree. You, you just open the door for, uh, for massive problems. And, and I, I think we're seeing this everywhere. 
And the only thing I regret is that Cam did not have uh, the game against Tom Brady because that was going to be uh, not only uh, a, a ballyhoo game, but Cam Newton has a winning record against Tom Brady, which uh, find me Very somebody else who, who does. Yeah, so uh, so let me get to the guy who is going to have the game against Tom Brady, and it's going to be in New England. And do you think it might get some ratings? New England hosting <laughs> Tom Brady. You think somebody might watch? And that's Mac Jones, who you said in his first game uh, had two pick sixes. But Mac Jones had a superior year last year, reminded me, and I'm old enough to be reminded of this, of Bart Starr, the way he handled the team. I cannot believe that Bill Belichick would not have picked him had Nick Saban, his dear friend, not said to him, this kid can run your offense. So I'll ask you about the Mac Jones you saw in the second half of last year. He never lost a game uh, last year and won the national championship. How good? He, he was as close to perfect uh, as I've ever seen a, a quarterback. Uh, he didn't have bad throws. He, he, he just didn't make mistakes. He was a machine. And you know, if you look back in, in the history of, of college football or the NFL, there are very few players – uh, who who were like this, and and I've, I I saw a breakdown last night of of the percentages, and, and it's it's mind blowing what what he's done even even in camp so far uh, under under limited situations. But you know now in fairness to him, he he had a cast around him last year, Tony. That oh, yeah. was as oh, good yeah. as I've ever seen. Uh, Najee Harris is a running back who never got much attention, even though he came in fifth in the Heisman, and you know. Waddle uh, and Devontae Smith and, and John Mechie at, at, at wide receiver and, and a really good offensive line, but still, he he made the throws. Uh, and and and, and the, the SEC defenses are good. Uh, they're not the NFL East, but they are very good. And he, and he the thing he was unflappable too. And and I, I, I usually I, when when a, a guy is that good, I'll say, well, man, he. He came through the ranks, and he, you know, he competed on uh, at the highest level. But Matt Jones was not that great in high school. He was good, but nobody could understand why he went to Alabama when they already had Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa. It it really didn't make any sense. Uh, but he waited, and and this is a classic Nick Saban success story of a guy who literally waited his turn. As, as 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 you remember, Hertz and 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 I yep. mean Hertz, yep. Hertz wins the national championship and transfers uh, has to leave. He, he gets beat and, out. And, and, yeah, yeah. And, and then the next year in the in the in, the, in, this, in, the, in, the, in another national championship game. Uh, well, he, excuse me. He starts in a national championship game. And the next year he gets pulled at halftime. Yeah. And Tua comes in and throws what you know maybe the greatest walk off I've ever seen to Devontae Smith, who nobody had heard of at the time, who three years later won the Heisman. Can Mac Jones step in and play in the NFL on a level that is better than 500? I mean, can he make the Patriots better? Listen, I'm a fan, but I'm, I'm not. I'm not going that far. I, I, I think it's difficult, <laughs> uh, Tony. I, I mean, how often has this been done? Uh, you, you need to tell me because because uh, uh, my, my memory does not does not. In, uh, I, I can't go back in my mind and and think of many players in that type of setting that can run a team. Uh, to the playoffs and be successful. I, I I think it will be a very up and down year for him. I agree with that. So let me give you the five quarterbacks. We've had this before a couple of years ago. There were five quarterbacks drafted in the first round. Uh, the the concentration of drafts here is just one through 15. Five quarterbacks in the top 15. So we have Mac Jones, we have Trevor Lawrence, we have Zach Wilson, we have Trey Lance, and we have Justin Fields. You've seen all of them in college. I understand it's a different game. 
But if you had to rank them now as successful at the end of two years from now, two years from now, what order do you put them in? And you got to factor in the teams too. You got to factor in yeah. the teams. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm starting with, with Trevor Lawrence, Tony. I, I, I am as sold on him as, as anybody I have seen in a very, very long time. Uh, and I think we saw a little bit of that the other day. Um, and after that, I'm, I'm, I'm not as high, but I'm not far from, from, from being a sold on Justin Fields. And to me, yeah, he, he's got all the intangibles. And, and after that, I think the other three are, are somewhat interchangeable. But I, I, I rank Justin Fields and, and Trevor Lawrence way, way ahead of the rest of the pack. I mean, and, so yeah, l- let, me get to, let me get to Fields in this regard, because you know this, and a lot of people don't know this. They know him from Ohio State. He didn't start at Ohio State. He was the number, ranked, number one ranked high school quarterback in the country. He started at Georgia. He le- I'm pretty sure about that. He left Georgia. Yeah. You know how this intrigue goes. Why, wasn't, why didn't it happen at Georgia for him? It's interesting. He originally was going to Penn State, and then he, he made a late decision to change to Georgia. And he, I mean, he, uh, he could not beat out Jake Fromm, mm-hmm. uh, who got, was cut yesterday. And the, it, it, that sounds crazy if you're just you know, driving around. Uh, thinking like, are you out of your mind? But the problem was Jake Fromm was a, was a really great system quarterback. He had been there a couple of years and Kirby Smart and his staff just couldn't find a way to, to get him in games that he could understand the system very quickly. And it was just, he was just a, a little bit uh, slow to, to learn. And then there was just never an opportunity to go prove himself. And, and it's, you know, in college football, uh, it, it's hard to supplant a two or three year starter. Uh, it, you know, Tonga Vailoa did it, uh, but but he he was he was a different type of player. Um, but that that was it. And, and Kirby Smart, if he never wins a national championship, will all will, will, will have a hard time living that down. By the way, uh, Stafford was our was all was not Stafford, but uh, uh, he he had there was another the quarterback that went to Washington, Jacob Eason, excuse me, uh, yeah. was this, was the starter originally. And and Fromm beat him out, and then but but Fields just did not. Have, I, I don't think he was ever given a great opportunity. And then he looked around and said, "I'm out of here," which was and then, and then it was controversial. This was two or three years ago before you could literally walk down the hallway to another school. You in this transfer portal, he had to get special circumstances to to be let go. There was an incident. His his sister. Not to get really deep, his sister was an athlete, and there was a there was an ugly racial incident. Uh, at, at a game, and and Justin Fields hired a specialist lawyer who who gets players out of schools, and he got him out of there and into Ohio State without penalty. Worked out great, Paul. Thank you so much for helping out today. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Tony, the pleasure was mine. Thank you, Paul Feinbaum. Just knows everything. Just knows knows everything. We're going to take a break. When we come back, another guy who knows everything. Not necessarily about sports. Who knows everything about the world? Tom Friedman of the New York Times is going to join us, and we're not going to talk about Afghanistan. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This, this is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, we give you the group Occasional Bannister, and this song is called These Restaurants. This is... From a member, Bill Pennington, Passive Boogie, from a Washingtonian group of guys who had this on their only album 30 years ago. Michael, if people like Occasional Bannister, 
want to send in their original music that we will play here and you can listen to in its entirety when we're done yapping. How do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at tonycornizershow.com. So I talked about this yesterday. I said that we were going to have Tom Friedman of the New York Times on and we we're not going to ask him about Afghanistan and we were not going to ask him about global politics and we were not going to even ask him about the coronavirus, all of which he has written about brilliantly on a regular basis. Now, we weren't going to do that. We were going to take the combination of me and him, two journalists at the New York Times, who between us have three Pulitzers, and since I have none, you know how many Tom has, and we were going to talk to him about golf, because Tom Friedman is and was a terrific golfer and got to do something in the last week at the BMW at Caves Valley, where he belongs, that nobody gets to do. I mean, you, you always see this, but you don't know how it happens. Tom, can you explain how you got the job you got and what that job was? Well, first of all, Tony, it's great to be with you. Um, uh, so I got to be with every group on, uh, in a tournament, a PGA tournament. There is a walking scorer, a shotling scorer, who um, walks around with an iPad and um, uh, doesn't just mark down the score, but actually marks down every movement on the tee, a dressing ball, hit shot, uh, new player, etc. So um, uh, being a member of Caves and being a golf fanatic and, and um, uh, a longtime freelancer for Golf Digest, when the BMW came to Caves, I, I, I thought, geez, I'd love to be a scorer. That'd be fun. I could get inside the ropes and get a better view. So um, they, they put out an announcement who would like to be a walking scorer. And I have to confess, Tony, when I, when I decided to, uh, to do this, I thought, oh, that's great. I'll be the guy who writes down four or five. You know, I mean, that's not hard. And I, and I get this great view. Well, it turns out the next thing you hear from the PGA Tour is you have to take this online course on how to be a scorer. Um, you have to pass it by getting 70% of the questions right. I got 80%, thank God. Um, then you have to go through a full day's training. Then you have to train during the pro-am. And then finally they let you out uh, on tournament day with, with a group. Uh, it, it's, kind of, it's rather complicated. You, you mix things up. And the shot link thing, you know, dressing ball, hit ball, score, uh, right. you know, free drop, et cetera. They actually drive the whole shot link system. If you're watching on your, on your, um, you know, computer device or whatever. And most of all, they explained to me, it drives all the betting. So, um, oh. uh, so that was the, that was the background. I went through the process, um, uh, just to finish. So during the practice round, I had Justin Thomas. So only one person to keep track of that it was fairly easy. Um, uh, the second day I had Stuart Sink, uh, Joaquin, uh, Neumann, and um, uh, who was my, my uh, third part, I forget right now. And then, um, blessedly, on day three, I was given the marquee group um, of uh, Bryson DeChambeau um, uh, and... Um, uh, John Rahm. You had Rahm, John Rahm, didn't you? Yeah, and, and, uh, and Patrick Cantley. And um, uh, it was just an amazing front row seat. It was like sitting in the front row of uh, you know, Cassius Clay versus Sonny Liston. So, I mean, you know, when they ask you all these questions, how, what are the questions? Is five higher than four? I mean, you've played golf your whole life. You're a single-digit golfer. <laughs> no, um, what it is is, is um, you've got to get everything in sequence and in the right time of addressing the ball, uh, hit ball. Um, uh, when, when you press the button on each of those, um, uh, you know, shot in hole. And um, uh, I, I confess, on the last day, uh, I had uh, a Louis Oosthuizen and the Harry Higgs, who's a character. And um, uh, on, on, on one hole, I, I, I messed up. I pressed the wrong button. And, and you're, by the way, you, you're get a, you have a radio in your ear the whole time. 
and um, oh. uh, you're connected to the to the truck, you know, basically. And um, uh, and I immediately got a call saying, "Did you just mark down a hole in one for um, for Ustaz?" No, I got that wrong. So they they cleaned it up very quickly. But you can you can make a pretty bad m- mistake too. So you okay, can, I so have to tell you, it, it's you really have to concentrate. And uh, and and uh, you, it's uh, you still get a great view, but you, you you do have to concentrate. So I'll give you a couple of of adjectives that you would say did this describe you or not. Were you nervous? Were you scared? Were you eager? You're having an experience. I understand you've met heads of state, but you've never walked inside the ropes like this at a pro tournament that the entire country is 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 watching. What would describe your emotions? Well, when I showed up on Saturday morning, and they and uh, uh, Pam, uh, who runs the, the scores, Heinz uh, said, "I need to talk to you." I thought, "Oh boy, I didn't screw up. I hope not." And she came out of the trailer, pulled me behind the trailer, and said, "You are going to have the marquee group today, the leaders. Are you ready for that?" <laughs> and <laughs> literally, and I said, uh, "Yeah, yeah, that would be cool." Uh, I felt I, I, cause I'd already been out one day, you know, with, with, um, uh, that other threesome, uh, the third was Corey Connors actually. And, um, uh, with, with Sink and, and Nyman. So I felt I had it down. And, um, what happens when you get done, Tony is cause all computerized, they give you a grade and they'll tell you exactly what you were slow on, where you screwed up. It, it's incredibly professionalized. And um, so by, by the time I was going to go out with the marquee group, I, I, I felt confident that I, I, I wouldn't screw it up. So you told me you were going to go out with them, and I wrote you an email that said, hydrate. Because the first three <laughs> days of this tournament, it was like 100 degrees. It said, hydrate, take a wet towel. God knows we don't want you passing out out there. <laughs> uh, how did you cope? It was very hot. How did you, you're walking, you know, you're unprotected. How did you yeah. cope with that? You know, it was, you know, fortunately, it's the PGA Tour, so you have the bottled ice water, you know, every tea. And um, uh, it was just drink like crazy. But, it, you know, Caves is a, is a good walk up and down. Yeah, and, it is. Um, uh, and on a hot day. Um, and, you know, these guys move fast. And so it, I, I, was, I was a dish rag at the end of the day, both sort of physically and mentally, because you really are concentrating. And there are just a couple times where I just wanted to watch Bryson's tee shot just for a extra second, you know, to see that missile take off. And, um, but you gotta be looking down to hit the right hit shot button. Yeah. And so I, I would, uh, I would indulge myself a couple times, but you really are. It was, I was mentally tired more than physically tired by the time I was done. If anyone, I should tell people, yeah, it's not easy. <laughs> I should tell people that you've played that course hundreds of times. That is one yeah, of your I've courses, a, I've been a and you're a since, you know, yeah, since, yeah. It, since it opened uh, basically pretty much. And so, so I will I just it, I'll ask you on one just one hole, on one hole on Sunday, on eleven, when Bryson DeChambeau flirts with the water on the right and bombs one about three hundred forty in the air and lands in the throat right near the green. Who does that? That was incredible. What did you, when you saw, again, you talked about this just now, wanting to look at his tee shots. When you saw him hit it off the tee, what did you think? Well, you know, that was awesome. But I will tell you what really the biggest impression I had from him is that um, uh, it's his short game. Um, uh, Putting and chipping. uh, Now, he was chipping poorly the last day, but 
Right. What was, what, to me, the most amazing, I saw, I, I've been a member at Caves from the beginning. Bryson DeChambeau took me to places on that course I had never seen before. Um, on the eighth hole, which is a par three, um, uh, a long, sorry, a long par four on the backside, he hit his drive so far left. Um, I've just never been down there. And um, when you're the scorer, you've got to keep track of where he is. Is he taking a drop? And um, uh, Cantley was in the completely other side of the fairway. And so you got to fight your way through the crowd, get down there. Uh, he'd called in a rules you know, official. By the way, if they want a rules official, they call you. Uh, first, they, they come to you and say, please call a rules official. He was, he was to know that hole, he was, he was so far left. He was the left of the, of the cart path. I don't know what club he took out, but um, he took out, I think it was the seven or eight iron. He hit the ball up to about 20 feet and made the putt. I mean, he, he made the putt from, from a spot I've never even I mean, He made a three on a hole from where I'd never seen before. And he did the yeah. exact same thing um, uh, on the uh, 16th hole. He was so far left off the tee. Um, and then he hits a shot just short of the green on the side of the hill on 16 to a really green sloping away from And he hits a shot that is so soft. It lands in the exact two-inch spot it has to and rolls right to the hole, and, and he makes four. He wasn't just recovering. He was making birdies from shots that were outside the Milky Way galaxy, tee shots. And that's what impressed me most. Um, he is thinking birdie everywhere he is, no matter where he is on the course. And so that drive, you know, um, uh, on the 11th hole, I mean, that was awesome. But actually, I would say about 50% of his drives were not in the fairway. And some of them were crazy off the world. And he still made birdie. He didn't yeah. recover. He made birdie. And that's so, what impressed me the most. I'm watching him. I'm watching them. Cantlay's personality seems to be so different than DeChambeau's. Rom seems to be chatty, but DeChambeau seems to be a magpie. I mean, he just seems to talk and talk and talk and talk. Did he? Did any of them, in your three days of doing it, did any of them talk to you? Uh, I talked to Rom a lot. Um, uh, uh, he's a very nice guy. Uh, talked about the, the course, and we talked about his um, uh, thing, you know, Think like a goldfish, you know, which uh, from uh, what do you call it? The, the um, uh, uh, that, that goldfish doesn't have any memory. Um, yeah. So uh, I, I had no contact. I, I didn't have any conversation with Bryson other than call score, not call, call, call a judge, not call a judge. But here's what impressed me afterwards, Tony. Um, so the round is over. We go uh, together in a cart up to the scores tent, which is actually the clubhouse. And um, we uh, um, we get out, and Bryson says, "Stick around for a second. And they go in. They each turn in and sign their scorecards. And he comes out, and he hands me a beautifully autographed ball, um, uh, and and says, "Would you like a picture?" And we pose for a picture together. Cantley just walked off. Never saw him again. Not that I need a golf ball. But that, you know, there's also a standard there, a young kid who was carrying yeah. actual one under, one under. Um, yeah. He was just sort of left standing there. And I, I was, so uh, Bryson's, a, I think he's just this complicated, he's kind of this overgrown baby Huey, you know, um, these incredible talents. But there was also, um, he, did, he did an act of completely, no one would have seen it one way or another, uh, of kindness like that, which um, also should be part of his CV. Whereas the other guy just I, disappeared. Uh, yeah. So 
Did anybody know who you were? Did anybody say, um, how many Pulitzers you got now, Tommy? Did anybody do that? <laughs> there were people in the crowd who, who, uh, who stopped me and said hi, I read your book or whatever. But, um, so great. So great. But it was, yeah, yeah, it was, it was um, uh, you know, I went to caddy for Andy Norris and Tom Watson and um, Neil Oxman and I uh, uh, in the Liberty Mutuals um, uh, uh, senior tournament down in Savannah. And because uh, uh, Watson North are, are friends of mine and from, from their charity tournament. And um, uh, one of the announcers said, this is the only group that has eight majors and three Pulitzers. <laughs> Just, I, so now I, I can't stress this enough to people who are listening because they're really not going to understand this. Tom Friedman's a really good golfer. You're now out there on your home course with not really good golfers, the greatest golfers in the world. Are you awed? By their abilities. Oh yeah, I mean it's I, I, again. I saw, I just saw some shots. I mean, you know, Cantley. His I don't know if you remember the final round of the British Open and Morikawa. But Morikawa made like I don't know six. I mean, like twenty foot putts or longer, um, and they all went in the center of the hole. You know what I mean? And yeah. and the same thing was with Cantley. He, he was making right in the heart, right in the and, heart, and right in the heart, and just like you just say, I mean, it's a cliche, but that that's it. That's a game with which I'm not familiar. You know what I mean? Um, uh, and and it, but it, it's their short games. Uh, Joaquin Neumann. I mean, the way they could just chip and stop the ball right by the hole from lies that I would be chunking it for hours. Uh, it, it's really so interesting. And they do it with such ease. The thing that really just impresses me most is that whatever situation they're in, they have the exact shot for that situation. You know, long, I mean, Usteisen um, uh, was making birdies from fairway sand traps. I mean, like it was, you know, putt-putt. I mean, it was just like, uh, they're so good. And when you, when you get to see it close up like that, and the ease and consistency with which you do it was just... Uh, it was just awesome. Harry Higgs, who I was with on on, on the final day with with Ustaisen, is also a real character. Um, and uh, but all, he, he's kind of got a John Daly body, and, and people are sort of teasing him along the way. But also, like he beat Ustaisen quietly, beat Ustaisen. You know, I mean, it's um, they're all good. The guys whose, whose names you never even heard of are good. But I will tell you, Tony, that it has been written about a lot, and um, Golf Digest has a great piece on it online this morning. I saw behavior on the golf course that I have never seen before from fans. And um, uh, it's, it's been a while since I've been to a tournament. And the way I, I, I described it to, with I was talking to Jay Monahan, the commissioner afterwards, mm-hmm. it was life-imitating imit- life Twitter. Um, yeah. It was really life-imitating Twitter. It's all the, the garbage and nastiness that people say to others on Twitter when, they're, when they when they're, can hide behind their Twitter handle. Now saying it out loud on the golf course. And the thing that um, uh, DeChambeau's caddy said to me is that, you know, sometimes you come up to these guys and you look and you think that must have been a 13-year-old boy who said that. And no, it's actually, um, it's actually an adult. You know, it's an adult shouting just ridiculous, vile stuff. And um, This is the, uh, the internet yeah. is, of course... Uh, the best and by far the worst thing that ever happened to the world. And it exactly, shows itself yeah. in sports events all the time. You had this great Walter Mitty experience. I mean, you really, this is a great experience. But I'm going to ask you one question and get you out of here. You're a member there. 
Right. That's a great golf course, but the pros killed it. And Cantlay said after, because I watched the interview, he said, we knew it was going to be a birdie fest. We knew going in it was going to be soft. We could do this. The general public and the, and the way it ended, the ratings were so good, and the general public seemed to like it. Did you feel badly because the scores were so low, or did you say to yourself, that's the best entertainment anybody has put on TV and golf in a long time? Really the latter. You know, um, uh, it was soft. It, it was easy for a couple of reasons. It arranged so much. So the fairways were soft, which took a lot of the short hitters out because they got no role and really benefited the John Roms um, uh, and the Bryson DeChambeau's. Um, yeah. And on the first two days, it was lift, clean, and place. So you could do a little lift the ball up and, and place it on the fairway, clean it off. That was an advantage. And the third thing is because Caves had done a lot of changes early on. Um, the the rough hadn't fully grown in in some places where it could have been maybe a little more penal. But all of that said, you know, um, Justin Thomas said something to the president of the club. He said, these are the best screens we have putted on this year uh, other than Augusta. And they and when they get on sort of soft, perfect greens, that way they just know where the ball is going to roll, they, they go nuts. But it was so entertaining. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, it, it, whether you know twenty six under beat twenty five under, or one under beat you know um, uh, even, the fact is you were the best that day, whatever the conditions were, and you know and so I think um, uh, the fans just really had a great experience. I had a great experience. The course, I think, mean, looked fantastic, and and I, I just came away watching them saying that you know unless you make the course, the problem is see the more difficult you make the course, the more you take parts of the field out. If you make it super long, there's only 15 guys who can possibly win. You know, um, uh, People don't realize that the best way to widen the field is to make the course shorter so all 70 players are really have in a it. chance. It short, yeah, they have a the chance. Short, short hitters as well. But that, that, that's going to get you to 25 under. What a great pleasure for me to have you talk about this and not Afghanistan because everybody <laughs> wants you to do that. And congratulations on your grandson, your first grandchild born. Thank oh, you for coming you on, that. Tom. Uh, thank you. Thank more, you. Two, we'll, more, two, more, two, two more and I've got to force him. Yeah, well, <laughs> you and I have to play. We have to play <laughs> soon. Thank you, Tom. Absolutely, Tony. Thanks for having me. Tom Friedman. And again, Again, I can't stress that not only is he a really good golfer, he has three Pulitzer Prizes. He is considered worldwide like the leading expert in journalism on foreign affairs, and we did not talk about it, which makes me so happy. Uh, we will be back. We'll do email and jingle when we return. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. The Tony Kornheiser Show. One, two, three, four. Here comes Tony's mailbag. Got your email facts. Here comes Mr. Tony's mailbag, gonna read some for all of your folks. Nigel, identify the people who do that and make it so lovely. Oh, that was Greg Rosendahl and Lindsay Merrill. Just a just a that's, lovely, lovely jingle. That's right. Do you want to do the but should you do the Bethesda bagel ad or should Michael? Because Michael went and got them today. Michael, you should do it. Oh, okay. Well, you know, I did make the drive this morning for you. It's a bagel sandwich day. It uh, is. Yes, Bethesda really Bagel. We uh, we have multiple locations in the greater D.C. area, so go online, find the one nearest to you. We love Bethesda Bagels. You will as well. And you were treated well. <laughs> I was. I had a bit of a parking issue where it looked oh, yeah. like a convertible, not, not Nigel's convertible, had driven forward and, unbeknownst to me, was then trying to back into what was a pull-in spot. I, I might have been in the wrong there, but it was hard to tell. 
so I was clearly in the wrong. That's just about it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say there's a tugboat down by the river, don't you know, with a cement bag just a drooping on down. Oh, that cement is just, it's there for the weight, dear. Five will get you ten old Mackies back in town. That's Bobby Darren. That's Mac the Knife. That's one of the greatest tunes of all time. Thanks very much to our guest today, Paul Feinbaum, Tom Friedman. Thanks as well to today's sponsor, X-Chair. And remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. Here's a haiku from Shad. Were you hydrated? Friedman is with the Shambo, and that's your question? I think that's a pretty good one. Uh, from John Marshall, not that John Marshall, for those of you who know the Supreme Court history. On June, on, in June, I, along with seven other guys, ventured to Kohler, Wisconsin for five days to play the Kohler courses, including the Straits course. We stayed in Kohler at the Inn on Woodlake, a relatively modest property owned by the resort. I highly recommend the trip, and we had a great time. The Ryder Cup should be fun to watch. We stayed two persons to a room, and in an effort to be considerate to our respective roommates, we generally used the common bathrooms on the lower floor of the hotel when necessary. Kohler truly does have the best toilets ever. When you opened the bathroom door, the toilet bowl lit up and the seat began to heat. When you sat down immediately to your left was essentially an iPad on the wall, where with a touch screen you had the choice of, among other things, things a vibrating heated seat, three bidet settings, and a fan. It was undoubtedly the finest toilet experience I've had in my life. I've never made it to Japan. I listen to Steve Sands on the podcast from Tokyo, but I cannot imagine the toilets in Tokyo being any better. All of us on the trip had plans to install a toiler, a Kohler toilet like the one at the hotel upon our return to North Carolina. I personally recalled my experience to my wife with effusive praise, but alas, I learned upon doing some research that the cost of such a toilet uninstalled was almost $5,000. That's in Wilbon territory. I'm hoping there's room in the budget for that toilet in the next bathroom remodel. Keep up the good work. I enjoy the podcast. We are doing a few new bathrooms. You are. John Marshall in Kingston, North Carolina. Um, Elliot Olshansky in Comac, New York, my friend Elliot, who sent me that lovely tie from the Americans that I wear occasionally. Dear Dr. Hoffwaff, I didn't realize the Rochester Red Wings are now the Nats AAA affiliate until it was mentioned on the show in the discussion of Wander Suero. You may be interested to know that once a week the Red Wings rebrand themselves for a game as the Rochester Plates in a salute to the regional delicacy known as the Garbage Plate. Originally a plate piled high with fried potatoes, baked beans, hot dogs, onions, mustard, and a chili-like meat sauce. It was first served in 1918 and many variations have appeared since. I mention this because... Based on your commentary, it seems that there are a few team names that could fit Mr. Suero so perfectly as Garbage Plate. He should be DFA'd right now. Best regards from Suffolk County, where Nigel's fellow Brit Chris Reed is currently playing for the Long Island Ducks. Okay. To all the Jeremiah's and Jolene's out there, you may have been made fun of, but at least people knew you were a man or a woman. Try going through life with a name like Kristen. I'm six feet tall, 300-pound, bearded male. You recently played my cousin's song I sent in, and I got to listen to Tony read my name during the podcast called More Dog Vomit. Tony said Kristen John LeBlanc sent in her cousin's song. Funny story of going to the hospital to take an ultrasound of my kidneys. My mom made the appointment, and when the five-foot Asian doctor called out for a Kristen and a 15-year-old 5'9", um, 250 pound me stood up I saw his reaction I said I know what you're thinking this is the ugliest woman you've ever seen I'm all man the troubled life of a man named Kristen from Joe Rudden in Mount Airy Maryland finally catching up on the podcast seems names aren't the big thing now I guess I'll throw my hat into the ring my name is Joe I'll hang up and listen it's actually funny how about this 
Name reference that I actually enjoy, Bing. And it's signed Greg Ryerson in New York. <laughs> From Ned Ryerson in Groundhog Day. That's tremendous. From Don Hammock in Biloxi, Mississippi. When you and Michael were talking about Fisher's Island during Monday's Open, I said out loud to no one in particular while walking across campus, I know that island. I went to submarine school in Groton, Connecticut back in 1991. We were there in the winter, so some swank summer homes were available for rent fairly cheap. We had a place on the beach in Groton Long Point, right by the Rhode Island border. The back part of the first floor of the two-story place was all windows, so we could sit there and lose ourselves watching Long Island Sound. A chunk of that view was Fisher's Island, so the connective tissue provided a nice flashback. Thanks. From Rob Lowe, not that Rob Lowe, in North Royalton, Ohio. Dear Grandpa, I was stunned that you suggested the hammer needed to like sprinkles. What exactly do sprinkles bring the ice cream? They really don't have any taste and only add texture to something that's supposed to be smooth. It's a cream. Come on, man. I think I was the one that said he doesn't have to like sprinkles. I think that might be wrong. From Andy Schatz in Hagerstown, Maryland. When you recited the iconic Alec Baldwin rant from one of my favorite movies, Glengarry Glen Ross, I thought about a David Mamet moment. It belonged to my father maybe 20 years ago. He would tinker with old things he picked up here and there, mostly watches, but also typewriters. One day, the New York Times published a story about a typewriter shop in New York City shutting down, focusing on the nostalgia of an era fading away. The story mentions that Mamet was a customer and a fan of a certain typewriter. My father says to himself, hey, I know that typewriter because he had one. He got in touch with Mamet's people who bought it. Mamet himself followed up with a gracious handwritten, not typed note, dear Mr. Schatz, thank you for the most lovely typewriter. Appreciatively yours, David. It was the peak of cool points for my dad. David Mamet is just unbelievably brilliant. And guys, look, I typed a lot of things on an Olivetti letter of 32. It means a lot to have something like that. It, it really does. One more. Joel Westbrook in Madison, Virginia. My daughter and the man she wanted to be related to had begun to plan to get married. COVID put a stop to that. Then one afternoon she called me and she said, we're getting married tomorrow. Can you come? I said, yes, hung up and told my wife, her mother. She will need flowers was her immediate reaction. I went out into the yard, picked flowers and made a bouquet. The next day, seven of us, bridegroom, two sets of parents and a woman who marries people met in the yard of a historic house next door to City Hall. Best wedding ever. Again, I add parenthetically, if you want to get married, go get married. Parents, brothers, sisters, that's it. If you're out on your bike tonight, everyone is always do wear white. Hola, nosotros somos Pineapple Landscaping y escuchamos el show de Tony Kornheiser. Pero este show apesta.
Spread up on the whole 
Door. 